Welcome back to 21st Century Women, a podcast created to find and share the stories of fabulous women doing fabulous things. On today's episode, we speak with Jane Bennett, who is an absolute guru on all things the pill, the contraceptive pill. Jane, welcome to 21st Century Women. Thanks, Jenna. Great to be here with you. Jane, there's the pill, implants, injections, rods, patches, vaginal rings, IUDs. There are so many different options and products out in the market, which is great, but it's also very confusing. Would you agree? Uh, Well, the short answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, There are lots of different ways of delivering synthetic hormones these days for women and different women will be offered different things. Some some doctors, some health professionals prefer certain kinds over others. Um, But the thing for women to remember is that basically they're very similar products in in that they're delivering uh, synthetic estrogen and progesterone or just synthetic progesterone. So that's these are just different ways of delivering those chemicals. So my understanding is you go to the doctor and it's typically the way it works. Typically they will suggest one of these options and potentially if there's a couple more out there. And generally we say yes and go, okay, whatever you say. So how is it, what's your advice to find the best con- contraception for you? Very big question. <laughs> uh, and it's such an important question. I have spoken to so many women over the years uh, that have been on the pill or used implants, uh, many of these other methods that you've mentioned. And of course, for some women, they suit them really well and, and you know, good for them. That's fantastic. But for a lot of women, they do have problems or they do have doubts about using these methods, even though they may be wanting an effective contraception, which is most of the case, most of the, in most situations. Although, of course, sometimes they're being offered these methods as a therapy for some sort of uh, health issue that they're experiencing. I think what's important for women to remember is that you know, why you go to different health practitioners. So the way that I like to think about it now is when we're, if we're seeing a doctor, we need to remember that they are offering us certain modalities. If we're seeing a, uh, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, they are offering certain modalities. If we're seeing a chiropractor, they have certain modalities. So rather than thinking the doctor um, is the only person to see about contraception, there are others that are going to offer perhaps more nuanced, sometimes more natural methods, and perhaps have much more education about those methods. So we need to be uh, you know, smart clients, smart patients, and have uh, awareness about who we're seeing for what. And I think that helps to solve uh, this, this issue for some women. So when you st- we speak about the different people we can see about different things. And that comes naturally to some people and they do have a lot of different people who they can go and see for different things. But some women out there just see a GP and nobody else Um, and they might have some other existing health issues, whether it is really bad period pain or bad skin. I know a lot of young girls go on the pill at a young age because of the skin, um, which a lot of doctors put them on the pill to help with that. Um, So what is some advice, I mean, maybe let's break it down a little bit, right? <laughs> there's some really big issues. Things like skin and period pain. What are some alternative options for women 
before they look at going on the pill to help with those symptoms? Sure. The uh, going on the pill for to help with skin and to help with period pain, sometimes um, it can help with that. It doesn't always, but uh, it certainly can. But it's not as a way of curing the issue that is creating that problem in the first place. What it tends to do is it's a bit like smashing the warning light. The fact that we've got those issues tells us that something is out of balance, something is something is going wrong. If we smash the warning light and therefore, oh, well, my skin's cleared up, I'm pain-free, that's great. Um, and, of course, I'm, I'm all for relief, relief of symptoms. However, if we really want to deal with the cause, we will need to go somewhere else. Uh, there's been some really good research that's found uh, that a very specific changes of diet uh, will have a very profound effect on skin and particularly, um, you know, the, the skin during adolescence, uh, which is often when uh, you know, girls and boys, for that matter, will experience uh, acne, pimples, that sort of thing, uh, and also period pain. There's some really great uh, things that can make a huge difference. Uh, and really, in a way, it's a case by case. But just as an example, uh, certain certain exercise, certain movement can make a difference. Uh, certain certain diet and and taking out certain things from the diet and adding other things, and, and it's the the usuals. Taking out the you know high highly fried, highly sugary, highly processed foods, uh, and putting in more you know, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit uh, and freshly prepared food can make a big difference. Uh, Taking out the fizzy drinks, even that can make a big difference to period pain. So so diet and exercise, uh, getting enough rest is uh, can be can be really helpful and if these if these issues are still uh, present after those um, those measures have been taken then i would suggest seeing a health professional who is uh, has expertise in this area uh, and who perhaps can offer some more natural uh, uh, natural therapies for these issues. And what about uh, other things that are a little bit larger in terms of uh, uh, endro, um, <laughs> how do you pronounce it? Endometriosis. Endometriosis. Yeah. I mean, that, there's a lot of young girls who come across that um, and, again, go on the pill for those reasons and then come off the pill and still have that there and have to face it, especially generally they come off the pill and then hope to fall pregnant. So in the really, they're much bigger situations. What's your advice for those? It's again, this is this. These are big topics, and it, it's really part of a whole big approach. How we approach our health, how we approach our reproductive health, how we approach our menstrual cycle issues, uh, and and these, how we sort of want to approach that at the beginning. If we if we want to understand and take responsibility ourselves, uh, if we want to be able to treat ourselves and cure and heal issues that we have, if we want to be able to take a, a, a as natural approach as possible, I really I really think in ultimately that's going to give us the best result. And the sooner in life we do that, the better. Within that, there I fully believe there is a really important place for. Uh, the GP uh, and finding a good GP that you can talk to, that you feel understood by, and and just being clear with yourself about what they're offering, what they can offer, and what they don't. 
and therefore, if you need to, finding other practitioners to help you with other issues and really staying in charge of that whole process yourself. Just going back to your question as far as specifically endometriosis, um, endometriosis takes, uh, it's in order to be able to actually diagnose it, it does need uh, surgery. So it needs a laparoscopy, which is being able to put a little camera inside and have a look around and to be able to say, ah, yes, this is, uh, it's endometriosis that is causing your pain, Um, uh, which is, just to be clear for listeners, is when the tissue of the endometrium, which is the uh, of the womb, the inner inner tissue of the womb or the uterus, uh, actually finds its way out into the abdominal cavity and adheres to organs um, and reacts to the to the the hormones of the menstrual cycle so will swell and bleed along with the tissue inside the uterus so this for many people can cause a lot of pain but for say for teenagers there's all that may be an issue for many girls um, but there's also other reasons why we have period pain. So without actually having it properly diagnosed, we can't say for sure whether it's endometriosis um, or just dysmenorrhea, uh, which is period, painful periods, which may have a, very, a variety of causes. So you've touched and they've explained it a little bit further, which nobody has ever broken it down like that for me. And dare I say, they probably haven't broken it down for other women out there as well or young girls. We talk about the effects and taking control of your decisions around the pill and different things, whether it's period pain or bad skin. What about how do you feel empowered to make your own decisions when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially if you're a young teenager um, or where your mum is influencing you and pushing you to go on the pill because it will make you feel better? How do you take control of your body, I guess? It can be very difficult. I uh, I would certainly say if you're young and you have people around you strongly encouraging you to, to start to take the pill, if that's the case, uh, because you're looking to the authorities in your life, it might be your parents, your the medical profession, you're looking to, to them to do the, to the, do the right thing, to look after your health. Um, and to, and for when you need contraception to get effective contraception. So it may be for girls in that situation that they haven't come across the idea of alternatives as yet. So I, so I think in, in, in many ways that's almost impossible. However, if they have come across those ideas or they have a strong instinct about it, it may uh, motivate them to do some research and to see what they can find out. And, of course, these days it's never been easier to get information. That said, we do need to have a lot of discrimination. There are a lot of uh, sites uh, that are paid for by uh, pharmaceutical companies that look like just friendly information sites that are basically channeling us toward using some form of hormonal contraception, um, which may be fine, but it's not going to give good uh, information about alternatives. So, uh, so... Uh, I, I think we do need to be have some discrimination about that. And I, I want to kind of underline this whole conversation with there are certain complexities. This is a truism, really, but there are certain complexities about having a female body. And I think when we try to override that and and say to girls or say to ourselves, oh, I'm too busy to bother with all of this, we're kind of creating a problem for ourselves down the track 
you know, if we if we if we just try to take what seems to be the simplest option on the day, and uh, to maybe to take a pill and okay, that's going to fix all my problems. I don't have to think about it. Um, that will and it and it may work beautifully for a period of time. Not always, but it, it can. And some people, some women are very happy uh, with that. But it does bank up the problems later down down the track. Uh, so I would encourage girls and mothers and uh, anyone who's working with girls to kind of just have a uh, to think about the the various complexities of having a female body of managing our hormonal life our cyclic hormonal life our reproductive system our fertility and our contraceptive needs and and when the time's right conception as well and and encouraging girls a, a curious uh, approach to be able to find out, to be able to look at what the options are. Because the truth is, if we're just using the example of contraception, the truth is at different stages of our fertile life, different forms of contraception are going to work or be more suitable for us or for us and our partner. We have many different stages that we go through. So it's better that we have a good understanding of that rather than um, just be hearing that, oh, no, no, you should be on the pill or this or that form of hormonal contraception. Uh, and when we, if we don't want to be, then kind of be left with nothing or very little, and uh, which is often the case. So, uh, so I think we need to encourage a an approach that can lead to what I would call contraceptive literacy or, or body literacy. Just really understanding our body. Uh, if I can add a little bit more to that, the women who do, and uh, this is what got me on this path many years ago. Of course, it's a personal experience of learning. Um, fertility awareness for the for the purpose of contraception, and, I, and that was when I was 26. A method called natural fertility management, and as I learned that method and spent some time charting and learning to read uh, my uh, cervical mucus as it was at the mouth of the vagina, uh, learning to read the changes in my basal body temperature or body at rest temperature, so first thing in the morning, uh, and various other symptoms, as I charted those and started to see the pattern emerging, for me, it was like a veil lifted. And I thought, this is really clear. It's actually really can show me uh, when I'm fertile, when I'm not fertile, what the different signs and symptoms are during the, during the menstrual month, um, and how I could then help myself whenever I was having any difficulties with those symptoms. So while I, I started to learn these methods for the purpose of contraception and it worked beautifully for me for that reason, uh, but it also it almost became a side benefit and the true central benefit was just having this awareness and understanding of myself, uh, my body, my moods, my psychology at different stages. Um, and, you know, I've, I've finished cycling now some years ago, but uh, I used that right through my fertile life from that time and uh, found it incredibly empowering and from, and have worked obviously in that field and have, have trained other women um, and counselled other women and couples with these methods. Um, and, and what I've seen over the years time and time again is once women start to learn these methods and, and for them have a similar experience to mine with the veil lifting, it's almost one of the, one of the universal 
um, experiences in that process is anger. And the anger is, why wasn't I told this before? Why aren't we all given this at the beginning? So what would you say is some of the biggest oversights for young girls or women? Is it in and around understanding our anatomy and how it works, our reproductive cycle and yeah, and our cycles, understanding our cycles? Because there's a lot of women who, until they do want to try and have a baby, don't fully understand their cycles and never actually had to because the pill did that for them or other contraceptive methods did that for them. What are the biggest oversights? And if you could say to parents listening, to mums listening, or even young girls, just go away and look at two things or look at one thing, what would it be? Okay, great question. <laughs> um, I think from the from the very beginning, uh, when we think of the, uh, this is not so much in the home because all homes are different, but uh, at school, mostly what happens, we, we get, in most situations, we would get some form of sex education. And mostly in those situations, the, the menstruation or the menstrual cycle is taught as, as part of uh, reproduction, which is understandable. I mean, it is, it is all about, biologically, it is all about reproduction. However, as women and girls, we will cycle many hundreds of times in our life and the average Western woman will, uh, the 99.5% of her ovulations will complete in menstruation rather than uh, a conception of pregnancy and birth. Now that may vary a little bit if someone is having, you know, a number of miscarriages uh, or even early miscarriages. So that's that's we're just talking about an average here. But uh, what we do need to think about now is having greater perception and greater understanding uh, about the menstrual cycle, certainly from a physical perspective uh, and biologically. But of course, it's not separate to everything else in our in our body, in our being, in our in our emotions, in our brain, uh, which is all impacted by the the changing hormones. And really, through a menstrual cycle, the the hormonal profile and there are numerous hormones involved is changing every day. Uh, now there might be a few days of similarity at some point, but these are changing every day. And just to give you a sense of the complexity, and this is this may be more than most people need to know, but there are we have twelve different kinds of estrogen. I did not know that. No, uh, estradiol is the most common, but we have different ones that have slightly different jobs to do. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm, I have to say, I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> we are the guru, <laughs> and I do love it, and it's fascinating. And I'm still learning. I mean, we don't stop learning. New things are being discovered, and and it's really valuable. So, what I would like to see in let's just going back to that example of sex education in school, that with an awareness that uh, uh, instead of just seeing menstruation as what happens when a conception doesn't take place, we actually have the awareness for which is true for uh, most most girls and women in the in a, in certainly in developed countries in in the modern world uh, is that most of the time ovulation will complete in menstruation. We need to understand more what that process is. We need to empower girls as to how to care for themselves, how to manage those changes 
uh, physically, emotionally, symptoms, how they can look after themselves. And I'll give you another example. Uh, Say if we use a metaphor of the four uh, seasons of the year, uh, which is a commonly used metaphor for different stages of the menstrual cycle, and we think of uh, menstruation itself as winter. Now, during winter, uh, we behave somewhat differently than we do in the middle of summer. So we dress differently. If there's more dark, we tend to go to bed earlier. We tend to sleep a little longer. Uh, We might have more hot soups and keep ourselves warm. And similarly, during menstruation, it doesn't mean we shut, you know, close the door and shut off the rest of the world, although sometimes we, we might like to. But if we take the time to take care of ourselves a little bit more, it really pays great dividends. Uh, We're looking after ourselves where for many women they're feeling more tired, they're feeling more... more like they need some some rest or feel like just going a bit slower. And I would really encourage women to listen to that um, and give themselves some... We find while we might have things we do have to do, when we look at it, there's things we can put off for another day or we don't have to cook the complicated dinner or we don't have to have house and garden in perfect shape um, or be flying in our career on those days. (laughs) We exercise and we diet, and that is a huge part of our lives today. Um, you know, meditation is something that's starting to be a lot adopted throughout a number of different, you know, with through schools and workplaces and just at home and individuals as well. So we're doing a lot to progress in certain areas, but it doesn't seem like we've progressed a lot in this area. You've been in this now for a long time and you, you know, you've written a book about the pill 10 years ago, thereabouts. How has the perception of the pill changed in your time you know, working within this space? It's hard for me to comment generally because I do live in my own bubble <laughs> and I'm hearing often from women who are greatly relieved to be going off the pill and have had huge problems with it. But I can't say that I, I can really reflect the, the, you know, the general conversation. I suspect that uh, it's as popular as it's ever been. Uh, it is very seductive, the idea of just taking a, a, a small pill every day or in the case of implants, not having to think about it at all um, or IUDs, all those sorts of things. It's very seductive to think that, okay, that's that's handled everything. And, um, you know, it's a bit like it came out. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the pill first came out. I was still a kid, but I I remember around that time. And that was the time of the Jetsons. So do you, do you, no. <laughs> you know, okay, so the Jetsons was this, you know, I, I was a kid, you know, with our fairly new TV watching this cartoon show called the Jetsons. And the Jetsons was this futuristic family that was as funny as anything. And they lived in, they had little spaceships to get around and the, they had helmets and um, robots and but it was it was funny and it was wonderful and it was the era of you know the magic pill will deal with everything um, the space you know we'd uh, it was it was ten years uh, see the pill came out in Australia eight years before um, the first moon landing you know so this is the era of we, you know, technology and we can do anything and, oh, look, we've handled this. So the, the 
the icon of the pill that we have now and we talk about oh you know it was 60 sort of odd years ago um that that came out nearly uh that we think of it as the the magic pill that it that has has given so much to women and i won't deny that it that it has made it seem much simpler but what um Okay. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, what I uh, what I would like to so I would like to add some nuances to that is that the the around the time you know during the 1960s after the pill was released, not only was suddenly here was a contraceptive pill. Uh, we have to remember we often think that there wasn't any contraception before that, but there was. Uh, women who had access to medical care, married women, were managing their fertility uh, fairly well by using um, uh, by using barrier methods uh, at that time. Yeah, these are um, these are condoms and diaphragms oh, at that time. And uh, but the, one of the big differences that happened during the sixties is that there was a lot of activism uh, to enable unmarried women mm. to gain access to contraception. And this is the the big thing that changed. So that was huge. And yet we, we often think it was the pill that did all the work, whereas of course it wasn't. Uh, it was just the, it was just gaining access. The other really interesting thing to note uh, about who manages contraception is that earlier last century it wasn't the it wasn't the uh, arena of doctors in most cases and in fact before the pill a lot of doctors some for religious reasons but many for just what they would consider ethical reasons didn't deal in contraception and it was through the work of early um uh early advocates and activists who wanted to take contraception away from this sort of shady shadowy morally um shadowy sort of area that that tried to really promote it as a medical issue and not a moral issue just crazy yeah Hard so to that's where now that. it's become under the under the umbrella of um, the pharmaceutical companies and the medical profession, and we think that's where it always has been, but it certainly hasn't mm. at all. Jane, what are some natural contraception methods? Okay. <laughs> My last question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm just going to um, frame that for a moment. In If we can think about there's three main categories of contraception. The first is what I would call sterilization methods. So they may be temporarily sterilizing or permanently sterilizing. So the permanently sterilizing are, you know, having tubes tied or vasectomies, that sort of thing. Temporary methods are, are the pill and all those other forms of um, uh, hormonal contraception because what they do is switch off our fertility. So we're not fertile. So if a woman is on the pill and, and has a bleed every month, it's not a true period. It's only caused by a withdrawal bleed from a drug. Uh, so that's a temporary uh, sterilization method. So that's the sterilization methods. The other is the barrier methods. So this can be uh, condoms, diaphragms, female condoms, caps, and I would even put spermicide in there because it, it creates and foams. It, they create a sort of a barrier, a physical barrier between the egg and the sperm. Um, and then we have the fertility awareness methods. So these are any methods that are based on understanding when we're fertile, understanding male and female 
uh, fertility and and working with that understanding. Some earlier methods include um, the uh, the rhythm or the calendar method, uh, which is based on just uh, just looking at a per- previous twelve months of. Um, of the length of a woman's menstrual cycle and just doing a calculation. And if a woman has a very regular cycle, that can work fine. But as all or most of us know, is that the menstrual cycle is very suggestible and changeable. You know, if we're, if we're unwell or if we're travelling across time zones or stressed, um, at, work stressed or... at work, there's a whole lot of things that can throw that out. So the rhythm method is notoriously um, unreliable. Uh, more recent uh, methods that have been combined that uh, that really this work really began in the uh, sort of 1950s and 60s combine uh, reading cervical mucus with the temperature method uh, and also looking at position of cervix but those first two are primary in these methods and for a woman learning that uh, needs to learn that from somebody who's skilled obviously like anything um, and but once learnt, it's like riding a bicycle, you never forget. And what you're learning is to be able to recognise when I'm fertile and when I'm not, not based on a computer, not based on some calculation, but based on being able to read your own body. In fact, the, the picture I like to have, if we were suddenly dumped out in the desert, there was no, no Wi-Fi, no, <laughs> we had no equipment, we would be able to know when we're fertile and when we're not. Um, and therefore be able to make choices uh, accordingly. And this is this is fundamentally empowering for women. And I would really like, if I was boss of the universe, I would really <laughs> like to see everyone learn this method, whether they chose to go on and use that for contraception or, for that matter, for conception, that's up to them. But I think as a baseline understanding our cycle, understanding when something changes during our cycle, what's going on, understanding other symptoms we have at certain times in our cycle. Um, it's, it's so fundamentally empowering. The American Association of uh, Gynecologists and Obstetricians, I think, uh, there's a committee there that they published a report uh, last year uh, talking about how they would like to see uh, menstrual cycle awareness or, or the uh, the menstrual cycle as the fifth vital sign. Uh, it's They believe it's so fundamental to us understanding that even if a woman comes into a medical practice during those, that stage of her life, that um, it's always checked on because even if she's coming in for sort of a cold or something else, that that can tell us a lot about her general health, about what's what's happening. And a lot of women will accept levels of pain because they've been told that that's, that's just how it is, um, whereas if they were to be able to understand that that's an abnormal level of pain and it can be treated, uh, could have a very different life. It's, all of this is so interesting when you look at the fact that we do – we are mindful of our body and, and how we exercise and what we eat and we are mindful of our mental health and this is just as important and it's not going anywhere because technology isn't going to be controlling this in a few years' time. So thank you for shedding just a little bit of light on this. There's so much more that I'm sure we could uncover but um, you know, people can head to your website and find out anything else and if they really want, read your book and get in contact. Um, Jane, I have one last question for you, and it has nothing to do with the pill, 
but a quote that you live by or inspires you. Thanks, Jenna. Well, I have uh, I heard this quote recently, and this is from a, a dear friend and colleague. Uh, her name is Janelle Liddy. She lives in Melbourne, and she runs programs for mothers and daughters. And her what she says is, taking care of yourself is the first step toward healing the world. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jane, again for your time and all of your advice and uh, information on the pill. Thank you. Great to speak with you, Jenna. Thanks for listening to 21st Century Women. I hope you enjoy hearing from other women and their stories. 21st Century Women podcast brought to you by John Rowland Media Productions. Catch you next time.